Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Friday the 11th of March. Today I'm joined for the last time this week by Apollonia Vlasova, who is a Watson's Daily Ambassador. Hi there, Apollonia. How are you today? I'm good, Peter. Hello. How's your morning? Busy as always. Um, so what do you think, uh, which story uh, stood out to you the most from today's Watson's Daily? Um, for me, it was the Lex article on food inflation. Yeah. Um, another topic that really highlights the fragility of supply chains mm. um, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially just to provide some stats as I like to do, um, who doesn't, the, <laughs> the situation we, all, with... we all like, we all like stats, <laughs> the situation with, um, yeah, <laughs> laughing matter sadly anymore, yeah. but, um, yeah, the, one of the, one of the, um, biggest wheat producing and grain producing regions is the Black Sea region, including mm-hmm. Ukraine and Russia. And because of the conflict that's happening at the moment, um, a lot of those exports have essentially halted and um, the future is not looking that great for the upcoming year or more. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, again, for stats, Ukraine is the fifth largest wheat exporter and it accounts for about 10% of the global market. Mm-hmm. Um, it also accounts for about 15% of maize exports. Ex- mm-hmm. exports. Um Russia is the world's largest wheat exporter and has about a 17% share of the global market. So overall, there is about 25% um, share that is attributed to that area for wheat exports. Mm. As you can see, this um, conflict is very likely and is already having a massive impact on not only the wheat market, but generally kind of food supply chains and Mm. Mm -hmm. food production chains. A lot of the smaller um, producers, for example, grain mills, that sort of thing, are starting to trigger force majeure clauses yeah. um, with, with, um, within their supply chains. Um, and essentially, um, you can see the already rising prices of wheat firstly, but also you can see the impact it's already having on businesses down the line. For example, Greg's recently, I think it was in yesterday's daily, Greg's right. increased the price of its of its um of the sausage rolls. Did um, you did you uh, did you alert Will Lowe of that? <laughs> we have to. We have to. Yeah, I, I should put sure it on the internal. The word, yeah, so just, just just for the um, listeners here, we've got one of our uh, uh, ambassadors. Uh, you know, Watson's Daily ambassadors, Will Lowe, who who has appeared on this podcast a few times, um, and. Our, um so far our one episode of um Watson's Whackdown is a massive <laughs> fan of um of Greg's a super fan of Greg's so anyway yeah carry on sorry uh, so the um, we, we had to the, stop pause there for the uh, Greg's news but anyway carry on I mean it's one of the saddest parts of it isn't it <laughs> yeah. um no no sorry actually the saddest part of it is what's going to happen with um the African food supply chains but um yeah. haven't gotten to that yet um, so essentially, it, the issue will be exacerbated because Ukrainian farmers um, are likely to miss the May planting season for yeah. the crops, which will mm-hmm. just uh, because the 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 um, essentially you only keep the grain for several months, mm-hmm. so it's not like you can you know produce it in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Also, there is a possibility of Russia using this as an avenue for sanctions. Um, it's not only an export, an exporter of weed, but it's also an exporter of um, important fertilizers and nutrients such as nitrogen and phosphate mm-hmm. that are used in producing fertilizers um, mm-hmm. together with Belarus and Ukraine. And this may be one of the kind of retaliation sanction avenues um, yeah. for Russia to explore, which would, again, exacerbate the issue. Um, so I guess what we are seeing here potentially and what the article hints at as well is a move towards increased self-sufficiency of different regions. Mm. Um, this is also in part because there's actually a really interesting article in Bloomberg as well about, um, the capacity for increasing wheat production worldwide. And it sort of went through different regions and stated that, you know, at the risk of fear mongering, there isn't really much of it. Um, mm-hmm. If you tried to, for example, Argentina is one of the bigger uh, grain producers as well. But if you tried to increase wheat production in South America, that would ultimately incur uh, massive deforestation. If you tried increasing it in the U.S., there are also issues with fertilizer prices and it just wouldn't really be affordable. And there's al- it's also essentially at capacity in terms of using up the space. Australia is in a dire situation with um, climate issues right now. Mm, and yes, at the best, it, yeah. it exports, yeah, it, it exports primarily to China. Um, but also at best, even that relationship is is um, turbulent at the moment just because of the climate issues and everything else yeah, going on. Yeah. Um, so essentially you see that around the world, there isn't that much space for increasing production specifically of grains. Yeah. Europe may have to revert its um, greening initiatives. It's essentially trying to use less less of the land for production, but it might have to revert that to um, do a bit of a U-turn to um, increase their production. Um, Mm -hmm. The UK might also have to become much more self-sufficient in terms of food. It currently produces about 60% of Mm. domestic food. Um, Yeah. Um, by economic value, so it might have to also start relying on its own. Uh, I'm not sure what the areas of the UK are that account for farming primarily, but those areas might see a boom mm-hmm. in the near mm-hmm. future. Um, yeah. And that's that's kind of essentially the the story. There's also an issue. There's also have I mentioned the food protectionism kind of trend as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of areas are starting to lock themselves off essentially from the external mm-hmm. market. Just mm-hmm. to keep their own, you know, populations fed. For example, mm-hmm. Hungary and Moldova have halted exports of grain. Argentina, again, one of the larger grain producers, is looking to um, and put some regulations in place to essentially regulate its exports of grain to be able to supply enough to its internal population. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see a lot of again food protectionism, a lot of um, self-sufficiency, similarly to energy, for example, that is potentially going to happen in the near future. Um, And also, I think that there is a risk of sanctions from Russia starting to cover wheat and fertilizers because it also might be seen an avenue in, for example, exporting more to China as Australia is um, having issues with its crops. So... Yeah, what do what, what do you think about this? And I think it was a pretty big story, and there's also going a lot of it is going on in the news right now, especially mm. in relation to say humanitarian um, issues and the humanitarian kind of food crisis mm. Um, mm. in relation to, for example, the Middle East and Africa. Mm. No, I mean it's it, it's uh, 
it's a real, it's a major problem. I mean, here, here we are having just come out of um, COVID. Things were starting to look up. Um, and then, you know, the uh, the Russia-Ukraine thing um, happens. Mm. And this, again, uh, shows how uh, concentrated um, supply has become. I mean, it seems like with every war, with every... Uh, you know, with every natural, big natural disaster, it, you know, it serves to underline how uh, concentrated supply can become um, mm-hmm. over over time. And so uh, the fact that uh, Russia and Ukraine combined supply, um, whatever it is, to, you know, 10% of the world's uh, uh, grain, or, you know, it, it's just... Yeah, this shows what this is the bad side of globalization in that it goes, it can swing too far away in in the opposite direction that you want it to. Um, so anyway, um, this is a problem that, as you rightly said, cannot be resolved overnight because you can't get crops to grow that much faster. Mm. Um, now, and although I've got, actually, I just thought. I wonder, I mean, this obviously this, this isn't going to affect wheat particularly, but, you know, there's been a lot of, um, uh, you know, talk about vertical farms and things. Mm. Um, and I wonder whether this is going to, you know, there'll be more, in, um, there'll be more investments in things like vertical farms. I wonder, so, just sorry, for a second, I wonder if there may be kind of a more global shift towards certain grains more than others. So for example, mm, away from wheat and maize towards say rice, mm, something mm. just, just a thought, but. Yes. Is that is also interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, maybe there will be, um, I mean, I, you know, but I just think that obviously for, for the moment, um, it's not, it can't be resolved quickly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's not much in the way of alternative either. So um, I think people, you know, we're just obviously going to have to stick with what we've got. Um, but over time, there will be calls for to, calls to have more local, you know, um, to be more self-sufficient. I mean, this in a way mirrors what's going on with energy um, mm-hmm. in, in the sense that, say, Europe and the UK um, want to ultimately wean themselves off reliance on, uh, energy that comes from russia so same thing with food um and it's yeah it's a it's a very very serious a very very serious issue and is going to mean that you know prices of, of stuff is just going to go up because there's less of it um and that's going to last for a while because they're not going to be able to grow any for a while so or grow any more for a while so um so that's bad um for cons- for consumers uh, and consumers are already facing major pressures with energy bills and and all the rest of it, you know. So um, so it is. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's bad. You know, it is bad news. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be going on for quite some time to come, maybe even yeah. the rest of the year, you know. Um, yep. So what there we go. What was what was the one that you were looking at today then? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, God, it's it's not as if I can make light of things, really. But um, this, so this one, I think, is is a very interesting um, subject, and it's about uh, aeroplane leasing. Now, you might think, what 
Why is that interesting? Um, the main thing is, is that, um, as we all know, planes are quite expensive. And the thing is, not all airlines own all of their planes um, because mm-hmm. they are quite expensive. So what they do is they lease them um, mm-hmm. from companies like uh, Aircap or Avalon Aerospace or Carlisle Aviation. And the thing is, is that a lot of planes have been leased to uh, airlines that are in Lu- uh, that are in Russia. So apparently there is there are about 10 billion dollars worth of planes wow. sitting around in Russia and as soon as sanctions came in the lit- lessors tried to move in and take their planes back. However, they've not been able to do so and or g- generally speaking and um Russia is just about to introduce or has just introduced new laws um, that say that no aeroplanes can be given back unless they have been approved to do so by the state. So um, Mm -hmm. that essentially means a lot of these planes are going to be stranded. Um, That is bad news, obviously, for the lessors. It's also um, something that... um, May res- is likely to result in very big insurance claims um, from those yeah. affected. So it is an interesting um, and difficult problem. Um, you know, on a- another part of me does wonder whether is this going to actually be good for aircraft makers? Because if you've got these planes stuck in Russia, does that mean that the you know once the leasing companies um get their insurance money they might go shopping again you know Mm. and buy more planes but the problem the problem with that is at the moment how many people are going to be flying so i don't know i don't know but uh it is a big problem because like i say 10 billion dollars worth of planes stuck in russia does not sound but also not to go this is a bit of a tangent but um the stuff that you use in making planes is also becoming very expensive. Mm. Um, like parts of planes, I think, are made of stainless steel. Mm. Um, I think propellers or something are. Um, so again, coming back to our previous topics of um, of essentially um, commodities mm. rising, of nickel and such um, mm-hmm. rising. So there, I mean, these might be some good news for the. For the producers, but um, mm. how much are they actually going to be able to make? Yeah, that's, yeah exactly. that's the question. No, but in terms of the topic, I do think it's actually a really interesting one. Mm. Um, it's just if you think of the practicality in itself, right? So the original sanctions have essentially banned um, the export of any plane parts to mm-hmm. Russia. Um, mm. This has stopped several airlines from essentially executing flights safely because they mm. usually carry some with them for maintenance. Mm. Um, and essentially, there's just no access to there's no access to uh, maintenance capacity um, in Russia right now for for um, Western planes. Yeah. And that to me brings up the topic of I don't know <laughs> the Russian climate is is quite difficult sometimes. And if, mm. for example, you leave even your car in the garage for a couple of weeks, haven't, mm. I don't know, washed it very well or something, you will see the corrosion coming from ice, coming from um, from the cold, from the kind of water. I think not a chemist here, but you essentially, you start seeing corrosion, you start seeing um, integral issues. Mm-hmm. 
can you imagine leaving an expensive plane for say three months to just stand mm. there yeah. in the changing climate with the with all the ice melting right now it's yeah. the spring with yeah. all the with, with the climate um well it's just not the climate but with the temperatures changing yeah um leaving it there without maintenance without spare parts without teams that are usually employed to maintain the planes that in itself i presume will be a massive loss to the leasing companies even if they were to get the planes back i mean there are talks of national i mean there are contradictory talks of um the potential for nationalization same as with um uh companies of nationalization of these planes i don't think it's that likely to happen i mean that would be quite a bold move but um Essentially, if you were to, if, even if you were to get the planes back in the end, it would maybe mm. be at least two, three months. And by mm. then, what condition are they going to be in? Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, that, that's all to, you know, it, all this stuff is to be taken into account. And I mean, I did mention as well to briefly in in today's uh, um, Watson's Daily, which has a, a, a very large number of stories in it today. Um, but, uh, you know, the fact that, say, Aeroflot, um, for instance, which has been making a lot of progress over the years, um, could well mm-hmm. be one of the you know, uh, badly affected by this and have their progress kicked back, you know, a lot many years, mm-hmm. decades, I don't know. But yeah, so anyway, so, you know, it is a problem. It's an immediate problem right now. But the likelihood is it, it will continue to be a problem. And like I say, the only, uh, you know, it will be a problem for insurers, which then becomes a problem for reinsurers because they insure the insurers. Mm-hmm. And then when it, that happens, premiums go up. And if premiums go up, everyone gets charged more, mm-hmm. you know, to, to fly on these planes. You know, it's all it all ends up. We will all end up paying for this uh, at the end of the day. But um Anyway, so the immediate, yeah, the immediate problems are are there, but this will have long term repercussions. And together with energy prices, together with fuel prices, and then also even just potentially mm. the fear of flying over Russia when the borders do open, when the air does open, airspace opens. Even just mm. you know the the kind of initial fear of flying over Russia for I don't know the danger of being, you know, mm. um, essentially made to land or something. Mm. Um, I think that that will all have a compounded effect mm. on the yeah. on the success of airlines. Yeah, yeah, no, it will indeed, will indeed. So there we go. Um, another day of tricky and difficult news, um, but um, we've reached the end of the week. Um, so um, so yeah, so there we go. But uh, yes, in terms of um, uh, you know, in terms of thank you very much indeed for your insight uh, as always, Apollonia. It's thank been. A good, a good, you know, an interesting week. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, thank you very much for listeners for listening to us uh, in these very difficult times. Um, thank you very much. Uh, uh, yeah, the podcast will be back soon. And um, uh, in the meantime, hope you have a good day and a good weekend. Many thanks.